Feeling such freedom here this morning. I, I just, this morning in prayer, uh, I, I did had this sense of um, this word uh, that and it relates to what I'll be speaking on a little bit later on, but that, that there isn't a problem that we have that uh, couldn't be solved, or at least the pain of it couldn't be uh, eradicated from our life uh, if, if, if we just believed, saw, lived in the truth that the cross defines all of reality. It takes care of everything. Uh, just lock in this word, we'll get to it a little bit later on, but, but there is everything that you want, you've already got. Uh, everything you think you need to find, you've already got, and it's there on the cross. Uh, you'll see what I'm talking about here a little bit later on. Uh, how'd that faith exercise go this last week? I last week gave that exercise to at least once a day, um, and preferably uh, be doing this throughout the day. But to take the worst attribute that you have, that the, the most non-Christian part of you, uh, and re- remember an episode in your life recently where you manifested that negative attribute, and then uh, imagine what you look like in that situation if you were to instead manifest the truth of who you are in Christ. What attribute in Christ should replace that negative attribute? And then run that through that scenario. And do that with all the areas of your life uh, that uh, you tend to manifest that negative attribute. And, uh, and see that as vividly as possible. Ask the Spirit to help you really step into that. And that is what faith is all about, right? That's, that's faith. Uh, it's, it's envisioning what is true. Truth is, we're, 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 we're exercising faith all day long, even though we usually don't know it, because we constantly have, uh, in our imagination, things popping into our head, movies, soundtracks that get activated by our uh, environment. And every one of those produces a sort of conviction in us, a motivation, a feeling that, that, that drives us in a certain direction. Though we're not usually aware of it. So I was at a conference uh, some time ago, and... Uh, having a theological discussion with this guy, which I thought was a great discussion. We we're having a lot of fun, kind of, you know, sparring back and forth on a certain topic. And at one point, all of a sudden, it was maybe a minute into the conversation, but all of a sudden something changes. This guy, he, he, he starts, I was just questioning some things about his theory on this, this one point. And he says, you know, okay, I, I, I maybe don't have a PhD, you know, I didn't go to Princeton, and I, you know, but I, I research and, and, and I've studied this and I'm as smart as you. I was like, Dude, chill. What, where'd that come from? But it was really clear to me that he, whatever got triggered, he uh, interpreted my questioning him as a, as a threat. Like I thought he was stupid. And I guarantee you, if we could step into his head and see what he saw in that moment, whatever got triggered, we would see something like this. Uh, an eight-year-old boy maybe being uh, questioned by somebody and he doesn't know the answer and he's embarrassed in front of his peers. And, and the, his brain locks it in that uh, questioning means that uh, somebody thinks you're stupid. Or you're gonna, if you're questioned, you're going to uh, come across as looking stupid. And so the brain locks that conviction in. And then as he goes through life, this guy who's probably like 40 years old, in other respects I'm sure is totally mature. But in that kind of environment, in that kind of situation, that gets triggered. And for all intents and purposes, he turns into an 8-year-old who's feeling threatened. And, and it, it's, it's all about what he sees, what, what's going on in his mind. Now, he doesn't, he, it happens too fast for him to notice it, but he feels the feeling that that picture evokes. 
Um, and, uh, and he's having faith. He's having faith that I am threatening him. He's having faith that he is an eight-year-old boy. And so he's responding uh, accordingly. That's faith. Uh, it's, it's, we saw Hebrews 11, verse 1, where faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Substantiating, that word there, uh, and this is Darby's translation, which is, I think, on this verse, the best. Um, the, the word hypostasis means to substantiate, to, to see as a sub- substance, a real-like substance. And as we see in our imagination this thing that we hope for or thing that we anticipate or thing that we worry about, whatever it is, we see it as a substantial reality. It creates in us a leg cost, is, is the Greek word, a conviction, a feeling, and that that determines our response. It determines the direction of our life. That's why Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. He's not saying that our faith creates uh, a reality like the New Agers teach. Um, it's not some kind of magic. It's just a life principle. And I can see out of the corner of my eye that we're going to have a Q&A here uh, this morning. So as I'm going through this, um, uh, and you have questions, text it into that number, and we'll, we'll get to some questions, hopefully, hopefully, uh, depending on how the Spirit moves, but we'll try to get those questions at the end of, of this message. So this is, this is why I, I emphasize this so, so much. It's what happens between our ears that determines the direction of our life. And um, most of what happens between our ears automatically, our brain operates on autopilot. Uh, the pictures, the images, the soundtracks that, that, that go on there, all of that is a way of having faith, and um, uh, it, it, it determines everything. And yet, you see... The Bible tells us that we're to take authority over that. That's our responsibility. Most of what goes on there, we didn't choose. We inherited it from this fallen world. Things said to us, things done to us, and our brain locks it in like this guy. Who knows what happened there, but he didn't choose that. It happened to him. And and then he goes through the rest of his life in those situations, operating like an eight-year-old, feeling like an eight-year-old who's threatened. But the Bible tells us that we're to take every thought captive. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, that's our responsibility, and it's all about us choosing our faith. And so it's so important, it's hardly ever done, but it's so important that we make time in our life where we sit and just review in our mind what is true. Aligning our mind, our imagination with what is true, and entering into it. It's not just enough to know it with information. We've got the information, fine, and you believe the information, that's fine. But do you see it? Do you experience it? And to enter into that. Uh, and then to, to, to uh, create a habit of that. Uh, our brain's going to be doing this all day long anyway, so the, the question is, is, will it be reviewing truth or untruth? And it's our job to make sure that what it's, what's re, what it's re- renewing is truth. Uh, and the more we align our minds with truth, the more we begin to experience that truth. Take what God says is true and see it, envision it, enter into it. And, and that's how, how, how we're transformed so um, we're going to be returning now to uh, the book of Colossians, and it's all about this faith thing. And so I want us to uh, look at Colossians. We're going to look at verse 12 today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, as we speed through this book at lightning pace. And it says this. So, the word there is un. Just lock that in. We'll get to it later on. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved... Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or some translations have meekness, and patience. Put that on. Because you are chosen holy and beloved, put on these characteristics. 
And as you'll see in a moment, that's all about the Wizard of Oz. So we're, inter- we're, we're calling this message, Waking from Oz. Waking from Oz. Pray with me here for a moment. Abba, Father, I just thank you, God, for the awesome reality that you have created in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that has changed everything. But God, help us to have faith that that, in fact, has changed everything. This morning, God, I pray that coin would drop in the slot, the light bulb would go on, and we would see truth and enter into truth and experience the transforming reality of truth and to see, God, that everything we seek we already have. Oh, God, help us to believe that, not just theoretically, but, it, but, but to see it, to experience it, to envision it. Mm. Take every thought captive to that. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's watch The Wizard of Oz. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. Well, what about the heart that you promised Tin Man? Well, and the courage that you promised Cowardly Lion? Well, and I'm Scarecrow Day. Why, anybody can have a brain. That's a very mediocre commodity. Every pusillanimous creature that crawls on the earth or slinks through slimy seas has a brain. Back where I come from, we have universities, seats of great learning, where men go to become great thinkers. And when they come out, they think deep thoughts and with no more brains than you have. But they have one thing you haven't got, a diploma. Therefore, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Universitatis Comitiatum E Pluribus Unum, I hereby confer upon you the honorary degree of THD. PhD? That's Doctor of Thinkology. The sum of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. Oh, joy! Rapture! I've got a brain! How can I ever thank you enough? Uh, well, you can't. As for you, my fine friend, you're a victim of disorganized thinking. You are under the unfortunate delusion that simply because you run away from danger, you have no courage. You're confusing courage with wisdom. Back where I come from, that we have men who are called heroes. Once a year, they take their fortitude out of mothballs and parade it down the main street of the city. And they have no more courage than you have. But they have one thing that you haven't got, a medal. Therefore, for meritorious conduct, extraordinary valor, conspicuous bravery against wicked witches, I award you the Triple Cross. You are now a member of the Legion of Courage. Shucks, folks, I'm speechless. As for you, my galvanized friend, you want a heart. You don't know how lucky you are not to have one. Hearts will never be practical until they can be made unbreakable. But I I still want one. Back where I come from, there are men who do nothing all day but good deeds. They are called Philip... Uh, Philip uh, yes, uh, good deed doers and their hearts are no bigger than yours but they have one thing you haven't got a testimonial therefore in consideration of your kindness i take pleasure at this time in presenting you with a small token of our esteem and affection and remember my sentimental friend that a heart is not judged by how much you love but by how much you are loved by others (sighs) oh it ticks. Look, it ticks. <laughs> Read what my medal says. Courage. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? Oh, oh they're 
wonderful. Hey, what about Dorothy? Yes, how about Dorothy? Yeah, uh, Dorothy next. Yeah, Dorothy. Uh... Oh, I don't think there's anything in that black bag for me. Well, you force me into a cataclysmic decision. The only way to get Dorothy back to Kansas is for me to take her there myself. Oh, will you? Could you? Oh. Always love that show. I, I have, and I, I think this is true for, for some of us here, uh, I've seen at least parts of that show every year since I was four. Uh, I, you know, I grew up with that show, and I just loved it. Especially started to grow on me around the age of 11 when I fell in love with Dorothy. <laughs> I had extra motivation for watching the show. When she sings, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, my heart melts. Somewhere over the rainbow. I won't torture you with that. But yeah, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in this show. It's, it's got some, uh, I've thought a lot about this. I have a philosophy of Oz and I'm going to share it with you here. And you'll see how it applies to us, hopefully, in a moment. But did you notice that in this show, all the characters are looking for stuff they've already got? I think that's one of the points of the show. Uh, the Scarecrow, he's always figuring things out throughout this movie. He's a smart one, and yet he's looking for a brain. And the lion, he's the one who makes the bold decision. We've got to go in there and get Dorothy. It's very courageous. But he's looking for the wizard to give him some courage. And the tin man, uh, throughout the whole show, he's sentimental. You know, he cries and he gets rusted up and he can't move. Oh, oil on me. And uh, yet he's looking for a heart. He's, he's got the biggest heart of the whole thing. And Dorothy, for her part, she's looking to get home. But of course, she was always home. Uh, she was lying there on her bed the whole time. And so it's, it's about chasing stuff that we uh, already have. But I think that the movie is a little more profound than that. And I want to see that the problem that these characters all have is that they have a false view of themselves. Like that guy that I talked to uh, at this conference. Uh, the way they see themselves is, does not align with reality. They have a false faith, a false view of, of, of themselves, thinking that they need something that they already have. It's a, it's a core problem of our existence. But the, the, the point of this show, I think, is, is even more profound. Uh, I noticed a couple of years ago, and I checked it out with a math wizard, and, and he hadn't noticed it before, but he thinks I'm right, that the scarecrow, when he gets that diploma, thinking that now he's got a brain, what's the first thing he says? He says that the sum of the square root of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equivalent to the, the square root of the remaining side. But that seems to me be a, to be a little off. He was... I believe trying to give the Pythagorean theorem there, what he should have said is that the square root of the two shorter sides of a right triangle are equivalent to the uh, uh, some of the square root of the, the hypotenuse, the longer side. So he got it wrong. So here's this scarecrow all throughout the show. He's the smart one. He's the one who figures out how to get down off that pole, tells Dorothy what to do, and then he's the one who figures out how to get in that castle. He's the one who figures out how to de de uh, defeat those soldiers. He's the one who figures out how to escape by cleverly having that chandelier fall on them. Remember all that? He's smart until he finally gets that diploma, and now he thinks he's smart, but he's stupid. <laughs> he's, he's totally dumb. He turns dumb. Oh, rapture. Oh, joy. No, I got a brain. Well, that's the stupidest thing you could possibly have said. And the same thing's true of the lion. He's, he's courageous, but then he gets that badge, and now he thinks he's got courage, but what does he do? He turns into a little mouse. Oh, God, shucks, no. And then the, the, the tin man, he's got the biggest heart of everybody throughout this whole show, but as soon as he gets that stupid, hard-looking clock, he's impressed by the fact that it ticks, as though the beating of the heart was the most important thing about the heart. Now, all of a sudden, he, he loses what it is to have a heart. Tick, tick, tick. That's, it, it's just dumb. And then that wizard... Um, 
telling him that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. That's dumb. That's just really, the whole thing, the ending episode is stupid. And then it ends up. Dorothy, I mean, it's, I, did it, was anyone else bugged by this? Even as a little kid, I remember bugging my parents and bugging my older siblings about this because I didn't like the ending of this show. She, she ends up, she says, oh, there's no place like home. And, and now it's supposed to be a happy ever after ending. All right. But what about that witch, that hag lady who wants to take her dog? She's still out there. She's going to come back. Toto's going to be taken away, put down. You can't have a happy ending when Toto is still threatened. This is not a good happy ending. Nothing, nothing was solved in this movie. <laughs> She's in the exact same position she was at before she thought she was going to run away from home. And see, now maybe I am often accused of reading too much into shows. Uh, <laughs> might be true. But on the other hand, maybe that's the point. Uh, the point of the movie, I think, is that, that there ain't no other side of the rainbow. <laughs> Uh, and and don't go chasing the other side of the rainbow. Uh, deal with reality as it is, and everything you need to deal with it, you've already got. Don't go chasing after stuff you already got. And in fact, chasing after what you already have is the one sure way to make sure that you lose it. <laughs> Thinking that you need something you already have, well, that's why you don't experience what you already have. And see, why that is important to us, folks, is it seems to me that we are all under this Oz illusion. This Oz illusion. This very accurately, I think, depicts our, our situation. We're in this world. Uh, scripture tells us it is under this spell. It's under spell. The, the deceiver uh, deceives the nations, it says in the book of Revelation. Uh, we're all blinded by the God of this age. And uh, it, it means we can't see straight. We don't see things the way they really are. Paul calls it, we saw the last two weeks, uh, looking at things from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view. Sarks is the word he uses, the flesh. And it means that we just, we just trust our senses. Well, we, we, look, we look at the world and think about the world and experience the world in our lives as though the physical was all there was, as though that was the whole story. And, and we may believe other things theoretically. We believe in God exists. We believe, you know, in the spiritual realm. But the way we actually live and the way we actually do life and the way we actually experience our life, it's as though that was not true. We, we look at it from a worldly point of view. So we don't see what is true. And uh, it leaves us thinking that we need to acquire something. We need to get stuff. Uh, what, 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 we, what we've seen the last couple of weeks is that what is actually true, if we just trust what God says, is that um, well, the, the, we, we've, we've got everything we could ever need. That on the cross, God took care of everything. We've seen that the, the good news that is proclaimed with the death and resurrection of Jesus is the best news imaginable. Uh, and, and that God has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But see, we, we don't see that. We may believe it theoretically, but it doesn't feel true to us. We don't, we, it, it doesn't, it, we don't internalize it. It doesn't uh, affect the way we actually do our day-by-day lives. What's true if we just trust God is that on the cross, we've seen this, all, as all were in Adam, so all are made to be in Christ. If one died for all, then all have died, Right? Uh, on the cross, that the old creation is done away with. And behold, all things are new, praise God. That all the old, all that separated us from God, all that alienated us from God, all that afflicted us and put us into bondage, it has been done away with. It was nailed uh, 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 on the cross. And so it's been abolished. 
Uh, every every sin, every every plague, everything that, uh, that 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 could possibly alienate us from God has been done away with. And behold, all things are new. All things are reconciled. All things are redeemed. All things are forgiven. Praise God! He has washed us, cleansed us in Jesus Christ. He's incorporated us into Jesus Christ, so that all that happened to Jesus on the cross and coming out of the tomb happened to us. And that's true of all people. You can reject it if you want because people are free. God won't coerce them. But it doesn't change the beautiful, outstanding, mind-boggling, unfathomable, incomprehensible fact that, that, that God has taken care of everything that needed to be taken care of. It's done. It's ours. He's given it to us. It's true. It's real. But see, we don't see it. We don't see it. We're blind to that. At least the default in this fallen world is that we, we don't see that. And so we act as though it's not true. So people think and they feel as though there's something they got to get. Or they don't know what it is, but they, we live our lives hungry for something. Uh, and, and, and some kind of worth. We think we got to, if only I can get that little button of courage, well, then I'll have courage. If only I can get that diploma, well, then I'll be smart. If only I can get that, that, that heart-shaped clock, well, then I'll have a heart. If only I can get on a wizard's parachute, I'll, I'll make it home. All the while, God has given to us up front and just says, trust me, it's there already. People think that if only I can you know, get on the other side of the rainbow, somewhere over the rainbow, then my life will be worthwhile. Then it'll be meaningful. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. If only I get the job promotion, if only I can get married or if only I can get unmarried, <laughs> if only I can get a different spouse, if only I can achieve this, accomplish that, drive this kind of car, look sexy, be impressive, you know, get famous, get accolades. If only I can impress God with my righteousness or believing all the true things or what have you. If only, if only, if only, if only. Other side of the rainbow. All the while, God says, open your eyes and trust that what I say is true. And it's all right there. Everything we need, we've already got. He's given it to us. It's all taken care of. question is, is will we trust God? We, it, it comes down to this. There's nothing more to achieve, nothing more to accomplish. It's done. Will we trust that what God says is true is actually true? And I mean trust it. Will we see it? Will we envision it? Will we begin to think like that and live like that? That's what faith is all about. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Grace alone creates the reality. Faith alone gets us into the reality, activates it, makes it come alive. Doesn't, it doesn't accomplish it for us because it's already accomplished. But faith is what accepts it. You're chosen. Will you accept your chosenness? You're forgiven. Will you accept the forgiveness? Will you see that, enter into that? You're made new. Will you accept your newness? Uh, you're a child of the king. You've got Abba's DNA. Will you accept that, embrace that, see that, envision that? And that's what gives us access into this new reality that's already there. Or will you just be chasing, uh, chasing false dreams all your life? Hungry for you don't know what, when all the while you've already got it. So with that in mind, let's turn to Colossians again. Let's look at that verse where Paul says, So, so because you are holy and beloved, chosen of God, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put it on. The word un is a connective. It, it, it's an if-then uh, kind of a connective. Since this is true, or if this is true, well, then this follows. All right? Given this, here's what follows. So Paul is saying, since you are chosen and are holy and are beloved, therefore put on the characteristics that are appropriate to one who is chosen, holy, and beloved. Now, when he, when he says, as, as those who are chosen, I talked about this a couple uh, months ago, uh, does God play favorites? 
He's not, he's not excluding anybody. He's not saying as, as those who are chosen as opposed to those who aren't. God isn't this eeny, meeny, miny, mo sort of deity who just decides who's going to go to heaven and who's not. Some people think that, but they are wrong. Uh, that's a, it slams God's character. No, God gives a bear hug. As all were in Adam, all are in Christ. God chooses everybody. But what Paul is saying is as those who embrace their chosenness, as those who know they're chosen, uh, and are beloved and holy, put on the characteristics of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Notice that Paul does not say, put on compassion, the heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience so that you can be chosen and holy and beloved. The order is all important. Since you already are chosen, holy and beloved, put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and, and patience. Uh, it is, it is what is appropriate given this. When, so, when, when Paul says put it on, he's not saying achieve it. No, because we've already got it. Uh, he, he's rather saying, it's not like something on the other side of the rainbow that we're supposed to be chasing. He's rather saying, since this is what is true, therefore see it, therefore live it, therefore put it on. Activate it in your life. In fact, the one way to make sure that you never experience the beauty and the joy of being chosen by grace and being holy by grace and being beloved by grace is by trying to chase it as though you didn't already have it. If you're chasing it as though you didn't already have it, you're never going to experience the joy of having it for free. You see, Wizard of Oz, tell you that movie's profound. It's not over on the other side of the rainbow. You've already got it. Now, will you, will you, the only question is, is will you align your mind and your heart and your life with what is true? You don't make it true, it's already true. You just enter into its truth, you activate it. You can think of it along the lines of epigenetics. I'm sure some of you were already thinking along those lines. Yeah, oh yes, it's like epigenetics. And if you're visiting here this morning, you just got to know that this is a church of a bunch of nerds. Uh, and and, and you know, people around here, whenever I start using science analogies, they, they salivate. They just get all goosebumps. It's, you, you mentioned quantum physics around here or, or relativity theory or, or you know, non-equilibrium thermodynamics or emergent property theory. And people go, oh, that's the kind of church it is. So it, it's an extra bonus you get. To, where else do you go and learn about epigenetics in a sermon? Okay, so just uh, enjoy this. But here's epigenetics. I got this from Kevin Callaghan. I hadn't noticed this analogy before, but it's really... It really works. See, they used to think that genes are our, our genetic makeup. I'm not talking about genes, but our genetic makeup. <clears throat> um, that that, that uh, genes were like little clocks that were wound up, and they're inside of us. And then at a certain time, they just activate. It's like an alarm clock. It goes off. And uh, then that property, that characteristic is yours. Regardless of where you are, regardless of your environment, it's all an internal thing. Right? They used to think that. You're determined by your genes. But then they begin to notice that some genetically identical twins who were separated at birth uh, turned out very different. And, and how, how does that work? And so that, that led to a, kind of a new avenue in genetic research. And now they, they uh, have found that a good portion of our genes uh, are not like alarm clocks at all. Uh, they're, they're rather uh, like dispositions that are inside of us that get activated only when there's the right stimuli, external stimuli. They lay dormant within us, but then something has to happen uh, that, that activates them. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't get activated. It's there, it's there, it's who you are, but it doesn't manifest. So you can take two twins, both of whom have a genetic propensity towards cancer, for example, a certain kind of cancer, but one gets the cancer and one doesn't because that gene only gets activated if you ingest certain carcinogenics or are exposed to uh, other things that, that bring forth that, that, that kind of a feature. 
Epigenetics, it's really totally transformed the nature-nurture debate. Uh, we now see it's both. And it's kind of good news because it means that you're not destined by your genes. Uh, not at least, not, not, not totally. Um, that you have some say-so over whether or not the genetic propensity that you have, whether or not it manifests. Well, see, folks, that is very much, I think, along the lines of this new self that's created with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's a way of thinking about, of framing uh, uh, how, how this is true about us, and yet we don't experience it as true. When, when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, God's brought into being a new creation, and it's true. Uh, he spoke a new, a new reality into being with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Just like in Genesis 1, uh, when he spoke into being the creation, he said, let there be, and there was. When God speaks, reality occurs. So also on the death and with the death and resurrection of Jesus, God spoke and it occurred. As all were in Adam, so all are in Christ. If one died for all, then all have died. The old is gone, behold, all things are new. That is what is real. That is what is true. God has spoken it into, into being. But, and I almost want to say, they've got one thing that you don't have. But, uh, referring to the wizard there. Oh, if you have questions about this, be sure you're, you're texting them in because we're going to get to it here in about five minutes. Um, the, the, here's the difference. In Genesis 1, when God spoke this into being, there was nothingness. And so there's nothing to push back on what he spoke. But when he spoke the new creation into being, well, there's already an old creation that was there. there that there's this deception that's going on by the deceiver. And there are free agents who can choose to either accept or reject uh, this new reality. And that is why this new creation that God has spoken into being, it lays dormant in us under the appearance of the old creation and under the deception of the enemy until we, with our free volition, but by the grace of God, choose to activate it. It's true. God, God says, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, you, you are. You are holy and beloved and chosen. And with the death and resurrection of Jesus, God, God speaks this, this new reality that you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are whole, uh, you, you are embraced by God. You are characterized by a heart of compassion and, and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That's who you are. You've got Abba's DNA. That's right. That's what's real. But it lays dormant as though it was not there unless we activate it with faith. It's by faith that we enter into and begin to experience for ourselves what is already true. We're saved by grace alone, which creates the reality, through faith alone, which activates the reality. And so it emphasizes how important it is that we, A, believe that what God says is true, is true. We have to trust that. And then, B, that we practice it, we envision it. It's not, faith isn't information. It's not believing information. It's, it's seeing it. It's, it's envisioning it. It's surrendering our imagination over to it. And then it's about stepping into it, looking for opportunities to step into what is true. That's what the, 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 this is, this is the kingdom. This is salvation. This is what it's all about, folks. The kingdom starts for you when you surrender your mind and heart and life over to Jesus Christ and trust that what God says is true about you is true. And the life of the disciple, and this is the process of salvation, it's about, it's about taking what God has created as true and then applying it to your life. 
And in a committed way, day by day, moment by moment, walking and thinking in a way that aligns your mind and heart with what is true. It's all about alignment. And see, the degree to which we align, think of your will like a valve. Like a valve that either can open you up to this new reality or shuts you off from this new reality. This valve that either it determines whether you'll be walking with a true faith about yourself or a false faith about yourself. And this valve, you open yourself up. when The degree to which you are aligned, there's congruity between your mind and your heart and your life on the one hand and truth on the other hand. To that degree, you are opening up the access of this new creation coming into your life and experiencing it as true. But to the degree that we're not in alignment with what is true, with what, the degree to which what we see in our mind, the faith that we have, and the heart that we have, and the lifestyle that we choose, the degree to which that is in conflict with what is true, well, to that degree, we're going to just keep on experiencing the old self. To that degree, we're going to be chasing rainbows. We're going to be uh, looking for what we've already got. So the all-important question is, is will we not just believe something to be true, but uh, enter into it, commit to seeing, envisioning uh, ourselves as true and other people in terms of what God says is true and the whole creation in terms of what God says is true and God himself. Take time to envision, to have faith as a substantial reality. Take time to substantiate the true God and substantiate the true you and substantiate the true other people and substantiate the true creation. That is everything. That is everything. That's everything right there. Whether you experience it or not will depend on that. What questions do we have? If this verse is telling us to reframe our thinking, is it important to be aware of our sin so we can fight it? Or are we trying to look past the sin and convince ourselves that we're already holy? Good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Look at, um, no, the, here's the balance. On the one hand, uh, you've got to know who you really are. You've got to reframe yourself uh, as, as you truly are in Christ. Um, holy and beloved and uh, without spot or wrinkle, all of that. But that doesn't mean you pretend that you don't really have this sin in your life. Uh, God never wants us to be involved in make-believe. God only trades in one commodity, commodity, and that is truth. So what's real is that you sin, you've got this bondage, you've got whatever it is. You've got to acknowledge that. If you can't acknowledge the problem, you can never fix it. Acknowledge that. But then make sure that you acknowledge one other thing, and that is that that is not the true you. You, you did do that. You do think this way. You do behave this way. You have these attitudes, whatever they are, they're fallen. Address that. Deal with, confess it. It's gotta be confessed and brought up and then forgiven. But then know that, that, that the reason why, the reason why God so badly wants you out of that is because that's not who you are. No, this is who you really are in Christ. And so envision yourself by faith as you truly are, and that is what's going to create the conviction, the eleg cost, that word in Hebrews 11, that conviction and motivation to walk away from that. It was only when I, after two years of my walk with Christ, when I saw that, that I am a child of the King and I'm holy and spotless, and that's who I truly am because of what God says, it was only that that got me to see that pornography is way beneath me. Uh, I'm better than this. This is this is way this is this is way beneath me. Uh, it's not who I really am. I used to think that it was who I really am, but see that empowered me to want to walk away from that. And uh, yeah, so acknowledge it. I'll acknowledge the sin, but acknowledge the true reality of who you are even stronger. All right, good. One more. Can you share an example of what it looks like to live out this transformation? What does it look like to put these things on in everyday life? Absolutely. 
Look at, um, uh, I, I used to, um, let's see, I, I, okay, there, there's a time in my life when I would uh, want to be noticed for certain things. Uh, and if I, if I didn't get acknowledged for something, um, it bothered me. I wouldn't let on that it did, but it did. And then you do things to try to get noticed, you know, just get complimented or whatever. I know that that isn't my true self. I, as I, as I really am in Christ, uh, I, I'm a person who, well, we all like to be acknowledged for stuff we do. That's, that's not sin. But, but you shouldn't crave it. You shouldn't like feel shortchanged or angry or slighted if you don't get it. Um, and so I would envision myself being full of life from Christ alone, because that's what's true. And that God's love for me is sufficient. Uh, and my joy depends on him alone, and my peace depends on him alone, and all of that. And over the process of doing it, and then whenever I, because I'm holding that vision there, when you hold that up, you begin to notice how much you do this. And that's another value of this, why it's so important to take time to, to, to be reframing your life as you truly are in Christ, because it highlights all the areas that, that maybe you otherwise wouldn't notice. Man, I really do that a lot. Um, but by, by, by virtue of seeing this and you rehearse life in, in prayer, then when, the, when, when uh, life is going, the flow of life goes on, and all of a sudden you find yourself starting to do that again, you check yourself. Now you'll notice it because you've been, you've been having your eye on the truth of who you are. It takes, only if you turn on the light can you see what's in the room. Turn on the light of truth, you begin to see all the sin that's in the room. And that's a good thing, because now you can notice it, and then that, that, that frees you to have the option of choosing against it, if you want. And being a child of God, you do want to. And so you just say no to that, and I go and get my life from Christ. And um, it's a process. You grow. It takes, it takes uh, years. And there, sometimes it happens where all of a sudden you'll find that you've taken three steps backward. That's life. The main thing is, like we sing around here a lot, a sinner or a saint is just a sinner who gets up. And that we sing, we just keep on getting up. And when you get up and you recommit yourself to move in this direction, you find over time that the truth of who you are becomes more and more manifest. The whole life of the disciple, folks, is just the process of becoming who you already are. Manifesting the truth of who you are. But you've got to know that this is who you already are. You've got to know that and see it and dream it and, 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 and walk in it for you to begin to manifest it. If you keep chasing after that new self as though you didn't already have it, you're never going to experience it. Just like the scarecrow. It's not on the other side of the rainbow, folks. There ain't no, no other side of the rainbow. It's here. It's now. And it's beautiful. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Non-Christians can be kind, gentle, and humble, while some Christians can be evil. <laughs> true, true. Uh, how can we be sure this is a God-filled life and not just positive thinking? Excellent, excellent. Well, it comes down to this. To the degree, I mean, when, when there's something that's not real, that you think you can create by thinking it's real, you're involved in positive thinking. That's magic. That's new age mumbo jumbo, you know, some, some Christians adopt that kind of attitude as though we are, we, as though we create the reality by, by what we think. Uh, no, the, the, what, what I'm saying, and I think this is what Paul is saying, is that the reality is there. Uh, we're just trying to get our brains and, their, and then our life to line up with that. Um, and, uh, um, 
Yeah, so, so it's about congruity uh, with, with, with reality. That's why the pattern we find in Paul, all of Paul's letters, we saw this last week, is he states what is real. You see this over and over again throughout his epistles. Here's what's real. Here's what you have to think, believe, have faith, envision, imagine. And then here's how you live. As we get our mind and, and heart to line up with what is real, then we're, we experience the leg cost, that, 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 that emotion that moves us in that direction. That's a spirit-filled life. Now, Christians don't have a, a, a handle on, on kindness and gentleness and those sorts of things. No, people can, can be that. Um, and remember, God's got a bear hug around everybody. And the Spirit of God is, I think, working in everyone's heart. And, and so people can, uh, in varying, various degrees, surrender to the moving influence of God and, and cultivate kindness and gentleness and all those things. The difference that makes that, the difference between that, just being generally nice, and the kingdom is that kingdom people do it knowing that it's as a result of what God has done on, on Calvary, on the cross, and with the resurrection. And so we, in an explicit way, give God the glory for all that, whereas other people might think that it's their own good, goodness that has done it. I uh, know, no, we, we, we give the glory of God. That's why it's the kingdom. He's the king. Our life is the dome. And so we always want to be ascribing everything to the king. Very, very good question. And people who profess Christ can be evil. In fact, the most evil people I've ever met in my life have been professing uh, Christians. Not all of them. <laughs> There's a few. No. Uh, in fact, the, 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 I'd say the, the most evil person I've ever met in my life where I thought I was dealing with pure evil was a pastor. And it, it was like, whoa. And that shouldn't surprise us because remember, we're in a, a, a war. And if you're the enemy, where would you like your wolves to be hanging out? With the sheep. <laughs> you can devour them. Okay. When Paul tells us to put on these things, what happens if I don't feel like being kind and gentle? <laughs> I don't feel like it. I don't want it. <laughs> is it better to be authentic to how I feel or just act the part to be a good Christian? This is actually a, a, a really uh, very, very good question. Uh, because on the one hand... You know, you, you, we emphasize all, all the time around here the need to be authentic, be real. Uh, let there be no duplicity between uh, uh, how you appear and, and how you actually are. Okay, so that's a core value. On the other hand, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been emphasizing how important it is uh, to be uh, thinking and speaking and acting in accordance to uh, how, what God defines as real. Very, it, it, it's, a, it's a good question. But the two are not incompatible. Uh, it, it just comes down to this. When you don't feel like being kind and gentle, okay, be honest about that. You don't feel like being kind and gentle. I feel like I want to bash that person's head in right now. <laughs> True. But at the same time, at the same time, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to know that, that is... That's not appropriate. That's not the real you. That's not what is ultimately true. It's how you feel. Yeah, fine. You've got to be honest with that. You can't can't deal with a problem that you can't acknowledge. That's a problem. Acknowledge it. No different than if you got a, a, a cut on your foot. Don't pretend like you don't have a cut on your foot. You got a cut on your foot. But don't stop there. Do something about it. <laughs> you know, bandage it up. So also, you feel like you want to bash the person's head in. Got that. Be honest about that. But now that you're honest about that, now we can do something about it. And what we'll do is this. To know that is not what's real about you. That's not the ultimate truth. That's the old self. That was done away with on the cross. Therefore, all the time you're being honest with it, let's also then uh, engage in some discipleship, discipleship of the brain. What do you look like when you don't want to bash that person's in? If you were manifesting everything that God has already given you in Christ, what would you look like? And so I, I would encourage you to spend a whole lot of time 
in prayer, envisioning that, asking God to, to, to see you responding like that. And, and um, uh, yeah, play that out as vividly as possible over and over and over again. And then look for opportunities, and they will come very quickly. When you're in a situation where you want to bash the person's head in, instead of bashing the head in, you, uh, you, you respond with gentleness and kindness. And maybe you have to fight against some feelings at the time to do it. I'm sure you will. Uh, but but you, you, in obedience to Christ, you respond in a kingdom kind of way. So I think both of those are, are absolutely uh, valid. I've got time for one more, but I've got to answer it in one minute. So this could uh, maybe be inadequate, but let's just see what you do. Do we focus too much on salvation? Isn't living like Jesus the hard part? I feel I activated the reality through faith. So when do I start seeing the change? <laughs> do we focus too much on salvation? Well, look, look, look. If, if you mean by that... Which most people mean salvation as as you know getting a get out of hell for free card. Uh, well, then, I, yeah, any focus on that is too much. <laughs> but that's not salvation. Uh, that's a consequence of salvation. Salvation, in a biblical uh, sense, is the process that I just described. It's not a legal acquittal. It's a reality change. And so you're 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 you are saved, and you're being saved, and you shall be saved. There's three tenses on this. And it's the process of getting your mind and your heart and your life to align with the truth of, uh, of who you are in Christ. It, it's, uh, it's getting your mind and heart and life to get lined up with the, the, the reality of uh, the fact that you're saved. And, um, and you can't focus too much. So, yes, living for Jesus is the hard part. Um, but that also is what salvation is all about. Those are two different things. And the person says, I activated it. Um, but it, the hard part is living it. But see, those aren't two different things. You are activating it when you're living it. You're activating it as you imagine it, as you take time to be disciplined about that, and you activate it as you moment by moment make decisions to respond to people in ways that are Christ-like rather than in ways that are, are uh, according to your old self. It's all about putting off this worldly point of view and putting on the, the, the true you in Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's the process of living out the kingdom. That's the process of being saved. Those are all one and the same thing, you see? And, and, and to the degree that you turn the valve of your imagination and heart and life, that valve, you open it up to reality. You get alignment there. To that degree, it flows into you, and you begin to experience the change. Not as magic. It, it's, a, it's a discipline thing. And I suspect it's going to go on the rest of, uh, rest of our lives. I at least will tell you. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I, I'm still working on it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, um, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. And, and so you align your heart and mind and life with the truth. That you begin to, it flows into you. You see it. You live it. And then it flows through you. Look at this. So the, it's like a water valve. Coming, it comes into you. And then like a faucet, it flows out of you. And now you begin to kingdomize the world. And this is how the mustard seed grows. You kingdomize the world. Um, only to the degree that your mind is aligned with the truth can you possibly be a kingdom grower. Because when people try to change the world before you change the plot of land between your two ears, uh, you just further break the world. Broken people break the world when they try to fix it. So first and foremost, take care of the three pounds between your ears. Get that lined up, and you'll find yourself being a kingdom influence in the world. All right, I'm going to close, I'm going to close with a little just kind of benediction here as I do. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever uh, that could use prayer, please come forward and pray with these folks and that's true also during the worship services. I'd like to see more prayer going on around here. Uh, reach out. Come on. Let these people pray for you. Will you stand? And I... 
call on God and the Spirit who is here and to say the truth that you are chosen and holy and beloved. And as the chosen and the holy and beloved, I send us forth to be a people who are surrendered moment by moment to that truth. Live in the truth, see the truth, envision the truth, act on the truth that you are chosen, holy, and beloved. All by God's grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Let's go out and activate it moment by moment, starting right now in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees with that says, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and live on the world.